On the second Sunday of Advent, our Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. It's the story of Gabriel meeting Mary and the Annunciation. Let's hear God's word together. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favoured woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the, uh, the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but now she's in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Amen. May God bless his word to our hearts this morning. Let's bow together in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word this morning. We thank you for this period of Advent when we can prepare our hearts to celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world. And we thank you, Father, for the story of Mary and for all that she teaches us about faithfulness and submissiveness. And we ask, Father, as we turn to your word now, that you would speak your truth into each of our hearts, bring encouragement and faith, and strengthen us as we seek to follow you and serve you and to be your servants, just as Mary was. For we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In July 1978, a little girl was born in England weighing 5 pounds 12 ounces. Her name was Louise Brown. Her birth was a remarkable first. She was the very first test tube baby. She'd been conserved through, uh, conceived through in vitro fertilization. Today, because there are many children conceived with the help of medical science in this way, we scarcely give it much thought. But in 1978, this was a, a breakthrough in medical science that hit the headlines of every newspaper, not only in this country, but across the world. Remarkable and groundbreaking though this birth was, it still was only able to happen by medical scientists manipulating the essential elements of male seed and female egg. 
As we enter into Advent, the Bible speaks of two remarkable births. One, natural, though with the element of mystery and miracle attached to it, and the other, supernatural. The first birth was that of John the Baptist, and last week Nathan was speaking about Zechariah and Elizabeth and how they were well on in years, and then when Zechariah was serving in the temple, the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him that their prayers were about to be answered and they would have a son. It was a very unlikely situation for a couple who were well on in years, but this was not the first time that such a thing had been brought to pass by the power of God. John's birth was very natural, the joining together of the seed of man and the egg of the woman. But when we move on beyond John's birth to the next stage in the Christmas story, we hear the message through Gabriel to Mary that she is going to have a child, and this is breaking entirely new ground in a way that will never be repeated ever again. The Christmas story about the birth of Jesus is central uh, to everything that we believe about Jesus, and it's centered on an astonishing miracle. Rather than being conceived by the seed of man uniting with the egg of a woman, Jesus was conceived by the divine intervention of the Holy Spirit. The Apostles' Creed, one of the ancient creeds of the church, expresses it in this way. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. The virgin birth, as we call this miracle, is the foundation of everything that Christmas is about. Because of this, we recognize that Jesus is both man and God, God's divine bridgehead into human life. This amazing truth was foretold about the Messiah by the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Isaiah 7.14 says, The Lord himself will choose the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive, and she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. God is with us. So this morning, let's take a look at the special person God chose to be his human instrument in this profound miracle we call the virgin birth, a miracle that's at the very heart of God's redemptive plan and purpose. And before we start, we need to make it clear that we must not have a negative reaction to Mary because some Christians in their enthusiasm have gone beyond the clear teaching of Scripture and assert that she was immaculately conceived and sinless. Mary was as human and as sinful as we are, and yet the Scripture shows us she must have been quite a remarkable person for God to choose her to be the earthly mother of his one and only son. I like the way Leonard Griffiths describes Mary. 
he says that she's the best supporting character in the greatest drama ever played on the stage of history, the drama of which Jesus was the star. Throughout the whole story, we see that Mary was the Lord's special servant. First of all, she was a woman who was specially favored. Looking at Mary's circumstances, she was a teenager, perhaps as young as 15 years of age, growing up in relative poverty in an ordinary family in an ordinary village. There was nothing that marked Mary out as being particularly special in the eyes of the world. Now, as Nathan pointed out last week in Luke 1.6, we read of Zechariah and Elizabeth that they were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. Of course, their righteousness had been formed over many long years of studying the Scriptures and serving God. But nothing like this is said of Mary. After all, her life was only just beginning. And yet enough is said by Gabriel to show that God saw something in Mary that others could not see. For sure, God saw the same kind of sin in Mary's life that is common to us all. As Paul says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned, Mary included. All fall short of God's glorious standard, Mary included. But God saw something beyond that sinful nature in Mary's heart and life that caused the smile of his favor to rest on her. And God choosing Mary shows us that in sheer grace, he can graciously set his special favor on any one of us and call us to do a special task for him. What can we say about this woman who was specially favored? We can say, first of all, from the scripture, she was morally pure. Luke 1.26, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. Scripture underscores the fact that Mary had not engaged in premarital sex, but had maintained her moral purity. Now, this was expected and upheld by the religious teaching of the Jewish faith, and the social norms of the time. But it would be foolish to think that she didn't face temptation that is common to everyone. Nazareth, where she was growing up, sat on a well-trodden trade route where all kinds of influences from the pagan world would have been present. But Mary kept herself morally pure. In our day, society has embraced a very different attitude to sexual behavior. It's common for people to engage in sexual activity before marriage. There is no longer an expectation that marriage partners should be morally pure. But although society has changed the norms for acceptable behavior, God and the scriptures have not. Society is paying a heavy price today for this change of attitude. STDs among young people are common and increasing all the time. The bond of mutual trust that is intended to cement relationships is steadily being eroded because of present-day sexual norms. 
Marriage is undermined as people choose, instead of getting married, to live together. It may appear to be a more convenient option, but it seems to me it's fraught with all kinds of dangers that can create insecurities about the future. Maintaining sexual purity may appear to be an unfashionable option today, but God's instructions for our daily lives are always the best option on which to make our lifestyle choices. Moral purity matters to God, and in reality, it also matters to others. She was morally pure. We can also say this about Mary. She was socially secure. Everything seemed to be set fair for a wonderful future for Mary's life. She was engaged to be married to a young man called Joseph. Now, in those days, marriage arrangements were critical for a girl's future well-being. Mary's future was secure. She would have known exactly the kind of life that was mapped out for her, and she would have been very happy and content with that. There were two stages in Jewish marriage custom. The betrothal period, or kedushin, lasted for one year. The betrothal was as binding as marriage itself, and it required a formal divorce to dissolve it if either of the couple violated their vows. During this betrothal period, the relationship between the couple remained unconsummated, and the bride stayed with her family. At the end of the year, the wedding, or the chuppah, took place over seven, a seven-day period of celebration. And it began with the bridegroom com coming to the bride's family and taking her to their new home. God's message through Gabriel that Mary, during that initial period of betrothal, would become supernaturally pregnant, destroyed, as it were, all her hopes, not only for the first stage of the marriage process, but also for the second. I wonder what our response to God is when he calls us to step out on a course that undermines or threatens our secure future. How many people, I wonder, have turned down God's gracious call to serve in Christian ministry or on the mission field? because they would have to leave behind things like financial security or a successful career. So Mary, we can say, was morally pure, and at that moment she was socially secure. And thirdly, we can also say she was spiritually mature. Gabriel's message that she would become supernaturally pregnant and give birth to the Messiah must have come as a bombshell to Mary. When the news got out about her pregnancy, who would believe her story of an angelic visitor and his surprising message from God? How would her family react? How would Joseph react? How would her friends react? How would the neighbors who watched her grow up react? She had a good idea of what that reaction would be. She knew this would rob her of her reputation and that she would live out the rest of her life with the shadow of moral impropriety hanging over her. 
And yet her response to Gabriel speaks of a depth of spiritual maturity far beyond her physical years. I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to accept whatever he wants. That tells us then, secondly, that Mary was a woman who was spiritually submissive. Firstly, she had a servant heart. Her response to Gabriel was, I am the Lord's servant. In the beautiful song that she was to write later on called the Magnificat, she says this in Luke 1, 47 to 48. Oh, how I praise the Lord, how I rejoice in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and now generation after generation will call me blessed. She could have rebelled against God's will. She could have accused him of being unreasonable or insensitive. She could have resented the inevitable consequences that embracing God's will would bring to her life. But instead, she saw herself as God's humble servant. I wonder if we see ourselves in that way. Are we willing to have a servant heart and do whatever God asks of us? Or do we think God owes us an easy, pain-free, trouble-free life? She had a servant heart, but Mary also had a submissive will. She had asked Gabriel how it could possibly be that she could conceive when she had maintained her moral purity. But how can I have a baby? I am a virgin. It was a perfectly reasonable question to ask. Gabriel's answer was hardly a rational explanation, and it might have even created more questions and confusion in Mary's mind. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. I have no idea what Mary would have made of that. But then his reference to her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy in old age was explanation enough to satisfy her that God could do whatever he chose to do. For nothing is impossible with God, says Gabriel. And it's this conviction that enables Mary to say, I'm willing to accept whatever he wants. Now, contrast this young girl, maybe only 15 years of age, and her response to Gabriel to the response Gabriel got from old Zechariah the priest, who found it hard to believe. Mary accepts it and submits. I wonder if we'd have such a strong faith in the Lord that we would accept, like Mary, whatever he wants of us. And then thirdly, she had a courageous spirit. May everything you have said come true. What amazing courage she shows as she moves forward into a future that was uncertain, 
uncharted territory for her. With courage later on in the Magnificat, she says to Elizabeth in Luke 1.49, For he, the mighty one, is holy, and he has done great things for me. She would not be surprised when just over nine months later, as she and Joseph present their infant son, Jesus, in the temple, old Simeon would take Jesus in his arms and bless him and would say to Mary in Luke 2.34, this child will be rejected by many in Israel and it will be their undoing, but he will be the greatest joy to many others. Thus the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Yes, Mary needed to be courageous, because she knew there's pain involved in saying yes to God's will for your life. What a remarkable young woman Mary was. What a spiritual inspiration she is to all of us. A woman who was specially favored by God, who lived a life of moral purity, and who was spiritually mature beyond her age. A woman who was spiritually submissive, with a servant heart, willing to submit to God for whatever God chose for her life, a woman with a courageous spirit, willing to accept the pain and the suffering that saying yes to God can often involve. She's an inspiration to each one of us. May we be like Mary and willing when God speaks to us and calls us to do some task for him, may we be willing like Mary to say yes to him and to all that involves. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for Mary. She is an inspiration to us and she teaches us so much about what being willing to accept and fulfill God's will and purpose involves and means. Lord, as you come to each one of us this Christmas time, and as you speak into our lives, and perhaps as you make your invitation to us to do some act of service for you, may we be willing to be submissive as Mary was. And help us to recognize afresh that even when you call us to do things that apparently seem to be impossible, with you nothing is impossible. You are the sovereign God of all eternity. So help us, Heavenly Father, to follow in Mary's footsteps and to be those who serve you faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.